Engineering managers face a different set of problems than engineers themselves. Whether they are hiring new employees, firing underperformers, or guiding a team of existing engineers, engineering management is all about people. Empathy is paramount because management is like being a professional therapist for the members of your team. Mike Borosdin has been managing engineers for more than a decade and blogs about engineering management at MikeBZ.com. And in this episode, we cover the core responsibilities of an engineering manager and some strategies around how to do it right. This episode is useful for anyone looking to improve their relationship with their manager, move into management, or improve as a manager. And I hope you enjoy it. Mike Barosden is the VP of Software at Tempo Automation. Mike, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to talk about management and some experiences that you've had at different companies. You write about engineering management, and I want to start with some of the topics that you explore in your blog, which will be in the show notes. In a piece that you wrote recently, you talked about how every engineer on a team typically falls into one of two buckets. Either they are helping your team, or you need to get them off of the team immediately. And this might sound obvious in theory, but it is hard to do in practice for engineering management teams. Why is that? Yeah, I think uh, I think the first thing I sort of want to clarify is um, your attitude towards, uh, towards engineers um, should be one of those two things. So it's not necessarily that people are in this binary state of... Um, you know, either being great or horrible, uh, but more so that um, you're either trying to help people improve, um, or um, or they're it's probably better for them to move on. Um, so, so that's a subtle nuance. Um, I think in in general, obviously, every manager's dream is that they're growing their people, they're uh, helping them achieve their career goals, uh, that those people, while pursuing those career goals, uh, are helping the company and the team out. Um, but obviously, if it's not working out and, uh, and uh, you know, that person is just dragging the team down, uh, it could have quite a bit of a negative uh, collateral damage. Why is it our nature to leave on those bad hires longer than we should? Yeah, it's it's an interesting. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I know myself. I always have to sort of check my own um, attitude and and sort of keep good notes of my conversations with people because I tend to fall uh, into that trap as well, where I just kind of keep things dragging out for longer than they should have. Um, I think part of it is just hiring. Hiring is hard. Hiring good people is hard. And you put it in, you sort of think back, uh, about the number of people that you have interviewed to bring a particular engineer on. Uh, and sometimes it's dozens of people, right? Your phone screens, on-site interviews, and then you found somebody and you're, you can't help but have this, uh, emotional attachment. Um, and, uh, so, so when things are not working out, which sometimes they don't, uh, you, uh, it's hard to let go. And what are the consequences when you leave somebody on for too long? How does that impact the team? Yeah, I think there is a couple of things that, um, 
that that an underperforming or not motivated individual can have on the rest of the team and and it can be pretty dangerous and and sort of contagious um so number one if your hiring bar and performance bar is high uh, which it should be if you're working on an interesting problem and delivering impactful software to customers um if it, it if you have you know, a number or one or a number of individuals on the team that are uh, underperforming, what will inevitably happen is, is uh, that just drags the performance of other people down. Um, for instance, you know, if, I, if I am somebody who is working really hard, super focused, super energized, and then I'm you know, somebody on the team who is just disengaged, after a while that disengagement uh, inevitably starts affecting my attitude as well, my energy. Uh, we're, we all are affected by that. And that goes and it's a toxic environment. Exactly. And that's, that's work, um, work relationships, I think, and, and personal relationships and friends, um, as well. You know, you know, we can all think of being in a carpool with, uh, you know, a couple of people and one of them is just like a horrible passenger and that's just like ruins ruins the entire road trip. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about hiring, but talking more generally about the qualities of engineers, my experience is that most engineers fall along a barbell curve where they're either A players or they're negative impacting on the team. Do you think that's accurate or do you think there's a, is there a glut of B and C players? Because people talk about, oh, you should only hire A players. In my experience, B and C players are actually not very common. It's usually either really good people or just like they're terrible and they're negatives on the team. It's very rare that you have a net neutral. Um... Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't have as much experience in the industry as you, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, actually, uh, talking about experience, so when I was thinking about uh, you know chatting with you and and just uh, when I was um, thinking about like what do I really have anything to say about this subject? You know, <laughs> this is like a good meta question. Uh, I started keeping notes of all of my interviews and in, uh, in Evernote a couple of years ago, so. Uh, yeah, over the last several years, I've talked to about, I've interviewed about 250 engineers. Uh, so I think, so I've got a little bit of a sample. Um, maybe not as comprehensive as somebody else, but, um, but yeah, so the, I think, I think that I can see some patterns. Uh, so back to your question about the B and C players. Um, it's, there's nuance there. I think there's a few axes along which uh, folks uh, can be evaluated and the things that they bring to the team. Uh, so, of course, uh, first and foremost is technical technical ability. Can this person write code? Uh, can this person solve problems? Can this person uh, debug uh, and identify issues very quickly, right? Can this... Um, person architect something that's durable and and sort of withstands changes in business requirements um so that's so so that's one um so that's one axis um and uh in this in this case i i i think there's it it is not necessarily a bell curve i i i think it's um it's it's more like 
There is sort of an average. I said and, barbell, by the way. A, bar, a barbell. Oh, barbell yeah, yeah. is like the inverse of yeah, a bell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's that's what I meant. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I think there's sort of like the the average, and then there are like really good people. And I think we naturally think of like the average is not so good um, when we get enough of the really good people around. So uh, there are B and C. Um, I would say, I would say there is an A and a C. A and a C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every once in a while you come across somebody who is like an F. And then I think, uh, in that case, you sort of have to go back and be like, how did this person pass my interview? Um, but there, but are there are other, um, but there are other really key, uh, elements as well. So beyond just the technical acumen, I mean, there's people, um, that are um good team players um and there you and there you you have uh folks along the spectrum as well uh good team players but not necessarily technical um, not necessarily good technical well i think it's interesting I, you know if you're running an engineering team um i think it's a must that people are technical and that are um that are good at, at actually writing code uh, however, you can have somebody join your team who is good technically, but is horrible and cancerous, uh, attitude wise. Uh, and that could be from just being an asshole to everyone, uh, to just being disengaged. Yeah. There are some really talented people that just become disengaged. And, um, the apathy sometimes is even, is, you know, it's, it's worse than somebody being angry on the team um uh software is not is is a you know it's obviously a creative you know it's technical and but it's creative business as well so you can't never really come to somebody and say like you know i think in two months that you know given this you guys should be here i mean there is some sort of approximate but um but uh, energy uh really makes a ton of difference hmm. so you mentioned that sometimes an f player makes it past the hiring process. You have to review why that happened in retrospect. Right. Do you have any conclusions as to why that has happened in your experience? Uh, it has happened to me. Uh, so, yeah, this is actually, this year is the 20th year I've been in in, uh, in this business um, of uh, software development and uh, and management. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've made my fair share of mistakes. You know, I, um, I think sort of going back... Um, on on the on the cases where I hired um, um, I hired people and they didn't work out like the, the F players I had a, a few of them and um, I think uh, not having a deep enough uh, technical interview and just sort of assuming uh, assuming that oh yeah and, you know this person seems like they could they could do well and uh, and sometimes you talk to somebody who seems like a, a nice person and you want to work with them and you're like, ah, you know, they really didn't explain how they solved this problem and it didn't really, uh, they didn't really go deep on this, but I'm going to cut them a little slack. Why not? That, that seems like a, you know, a smart person, let, you know, and, and generally, you know, all of those types of folks, you know, swear like, oh, I'm a fast learner, you know, it's like, great. Okay. So, and, um, I had one, I had one guy who joined in, sort of didn't do well on the technical screen, uh, didn't do well 
um, when we sort of probed and asked them some questions. Um, so we, we, but, but seemed like a genuine nice guy, um, brought him on and sort of started, you know, and it takes a while to find that out. Right. Um, because uh, generally, like the first several weeks or a month, people are just getting acclimated to the environment, the stack. Yeah. Um, so you can't really tell, like, are they bad or are they just trying to figure stuff out? Um, and then, you know, another sort of month, you're like, okay, that's just weird. We should be seeing more out of this person. Uh, and then, and so the, with this particular guy, I mean, after a while, I was, I was just like, okay, hey, buddy, you know. You, you know, you're not getting anything done. I mean, is there anything I can do? Like, is it just to kind of help you? And, uh, so started the performance management and sort of like helping him, trying to help him, um, get back on his feet or well, I thought back on his feet because I sort of in the interview assumed that there was some feet there. Um, um, and then after a while, he just said, like, you know, the software development thing is just too complicated. I'm afraid of changing code. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to break something. I'm like, well, uh, I don't know what we can do with you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I just can't really be effective in this role. You mentioned something there about the fast learner thing. I have heard different people have different takes on this. One of the people who I respect the most about hiring... Um, he's built some successful companies and he said that when you're hiring at a startup, you should optimize for people who are wanting to grow. And if you're hiring somebody where you're saying, well, this person needs to grow into this role, sometimes you might need to say, well, okay, this person, either they're going to be a fast learner or they're going to fail. So you do have to assume sometimes this person is telling the truth and that they're a fast learner. Right, like so. What's what's the disconnect there? Because you because you just said that there was, you know, you're you're hire you hire for a fast learner, and then oh, it turns out they're just unqualified and they can't learn. I, I don't know. How do you test for that? Yeah, it's a hard one um, because obviously the field is changing all the time. So you can't really hire for static knowledge. You can't say like, oh, I'm hiring this person because they know this particular thing. Um, you know, you're working on a project that's python and django and i do you know python and django and if you do great and if you don't then no like i think obviously it's the wrong criteria because things evolve and um and you you need to um you know have people that are fast learners uh so i think the the key um things to watch out there are uh, is there a history of of learning and picking up things um and also in general, so I think by the time um, folks are doing professional development, generally you can identify um, certain certain um, aspects of folks that have done some learning on their own, right? They're either uh, involved in sort of open source projects, or they've done, or they've done something during their college tenure. You know, they've. Uh, in their internships, they have something that they, you know, they sort of spend a summer at Google, did this, did that. Yeah. Um, right. So those are the, so those are the things, um, sort of a long answer to your question. Well, no, and, and that gets at, I think the idea, like some people will sit, will be applying for a company and they're like, oh, I'm a fast learner. And then maybe you look at their resume and you're like, well, there's not really proof here that you're a fast learner. And they're like, no, but I'm a fast learner. What you actually need is 
a fast learner plus somebody who is a doer and they're they're actually building stuff on their own like particularly at a at a really small early company because you need somebody who can build their own momentum and get something going and uh you don't it's not like uh you don't you don't want to hire the person who's like oh i'm a fast learner and i need you to give me instruction like explicit instructions on how to learn everything um so you also mentioned that that negative case you were talking about earlier you know you put this person kind of on a well you started talk you started having this conversation with them where you're like okay you're not getting anything done here you need to improve how can i help you and so on at a larger company this is often referred to as the performance improvement plan i think at a larger company it sometimes has the role of uh removing some of the liability for a company in terms of getting sued because you 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 have this this person gets put on a performance improvement plan and so that often is meant to signal to the employee you're going to get fired soon so the employee will start looking for a job and hopefully they'll just execute their own like getting off of the job and you can reduce your liability as a company i don't know talk more about the performance improvement plan idea yeah. is this just corporate nonsense or is this actually something that has practical merit to it <laughs> yeah yeah so i've uh i've seen all sorts of um um, playbooks for, uh, for performance improvement plans. So I spent some time, uh, being a manager at Microsoft. Um, obviously I was, uh, uh, I was a director at DocuSign, which started out small when I joined. By the time I left, it was a you know, 2000 person company. Um, so I, I've seen it sort of in all shapes and sizes. I think, um, the PIP, Performance Improvement Plan definitely has a bad name uh, because, f- frankly speaking, because I think a lot of people misuse it. Um, so if if your uh, goal of uh, putting somebody on a performance improvement plan um, to get rid of them, you're really not, you're already past that. You're already in your mind. You're past um, helping them. And that you might not be helping them. Um, the idea of performance improvement plan, and I think the reason why it was called as such, is to really actually help people improve their performance. Um, I know myself, and I think a lot of people that are of technical background. It's it's really it was early on. It's really hard for me to verbalize um, to someone like what is it that was missing, right? I was sort of like upset with somebody on my team because you know this person was not delivering their uh the results or the code was crappy and was breaking stuff or they were just break but actually succinctly putting this into uh something that you can explain and walk a person through and really say um hey joey like we've got a problem here you keep checking in the code and it keeps breaking other code like what we need you to do is to maybe run some unit tests, uh, maybe run some regression tests, maybe make sure that you talk to other, you, you know, like these types of things where you're actually giving people guidance. Uh, we don't, we software managers don't really do that very well, I think, as a, as a community. Um, so in, in general, I think one of the interesting things uh to think about is um just think about having 
an improvement plan, right? Like an, an improvement. I suppose hypothetically, everyone wants to get better. Uh, I don't think you can survive in the, in the, in this business for too long. Uh, if you're not getting better at your craft, um, and hopefully you're working for a manager who cares about, um, your progression and your career. Uh, so, so the case, the case is when you need to, um, let somebody go, uh, it's when someone is not really improving in the direction that is helpful to the team. Um, and, uh, and I think in general, folks that on the receiving end of the, of this, um, performance employment plan can make a decision like, is this team and is this person, uh, helping me advance in a way that is actually, uh, relevant and interesting to me? Uh, and hopefully if they, if, if so, if is, if clear sort of succinct communication is happening between, you know, a manager and, or a leader uh, and one of the team members and somebody says, eh, you know, here's what we're sort of hoping that you would be doing. Here are some steps you could try, but this, these are the results we're hoping for. Uh, and if the person that, uh, that's on the receiving end of this communication says, well, hey, listen, I'm not interested in this at all. Uh, and I, what I really want to do is something totally different. Um, then I, then I think that the exit is natural, right? right. It's like, Hey, I'm, a, yeah. So like hypothetically, let's just say you go to some organization and you just really love, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I'm picking a really trivial example here, which most of the time would not make sense, but I, but let's just go with this one. Um, you just really love backend web services programming and you really, and you just don't care at all about JavaScript, maybe CSS and all of that stuff. And, you know, but your task includes that and you sort of maybe do a crappy job at it. And then your manager says like, Hey, listen, uh, Jeff, I really need you to like not break our UI. And there's all of these things you're doing in the CSS that are sort of considered hacks. Like you should really like yeah. pay more attention to it. But internally, you just say like, "Hey, listen, this is not my thing. I that's not. Yeah, I don't feel like I got hired for this, and just don't see any interest or future in uh, brushing up on my CSS skills. So, um, probably the best move for me is to find another gig where that's not going to be important." Right. Okay. Let's shift to talking about hiring more and on a more focused basis because we've discussed this on Software Engineering Daily in a bunch of different contexts. It is, I, as I understand, it's the thing you spend the most time on right now at Tempo Automation. Yeah, team is growing and uh, absolutely right. hiring as the number one job. And, the, you know, when I started this podcast, I was hell-bent on preaching that the whiteboarding interview process is the most broken piece of crap uh, interview process in yeah. the world. And over time, I've realized, you know, as frustrated as the candidates are with the whiteboarding interview process, as much as it sucks as a person coming out of school, like you've come out of school and you've, or you come out of a boot camp and you've just done all this learning and now you have to learn this entirely new skill set, which is whiteboarding. Because whiteboarding is mu whiteboarding interview problems is much different than writing software. Uh, it's much different than writing university software. It's also much different than writing corporate software. But the reason we have this whiteboarding thing is because we don't have anything better. There's like nothing, we don't have anything better. And so I, I'm just curious, I'm always trying to talk to people about what are their hiring strategies? Have they found something that's a little bit better? 
than whiteboarding or how has whiteboarding been effective? How have they made it more effective? You know, you talk to people about, oh, we have somebody like solve a production bug before, you know, as, uh, as an interview task and, 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 you know, some, for some of them that works, but I don't know. Tell me about your hiring process and what works for you. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things, um, that, uh, um, that, that we're doing, uh, and, and I want to be really upfront. Whiteboarding is a part of part of the equation sure. for our uh, hiring process. Uh, for that exact reason that you brought up is that I just wish we found something better. Um, but we, ha- we, but and if somebody uh, out of your uh, community of listeners has a suggestion that I haven't heard, I'd love to try it out. And uh, you know, I'm in constant contact also with other engineering leaders in the Bay Area and and sort of beyond. And I haven't. Um, I haven't, I haven't come across anything, um, I, anything else, but let me, so let me just go through, uh, so first of all, the, uh, the problem that you're after. Uh, so number one thing, uh, and especially in this hot market, when a lot of engineers are make six figures and it's the go-to career, right? You sort of read articles on business insider. It's like, oh, software engineering is like always at the top, you know, it's like top five or whatever, right? Like maybe not any particular uh, year, but generally it's a pretty sought after career. Uh, so folk, I mean, I, I, and I th- think there is a tremendous number of enthusiasts there that really want to learn and everything, but there's a number of people that actually are just like, okay, well, I could be an accountant. Uh, I could be uh, a paralegal or I could uh, learn a little coding and see if I can, uh, you know, make a hundred K. right. So, um, uh, so there's a number of people that are actually just that that uh, that aren't very good, and they just want to be in this um, for um, you know that could be any anything, and they're just looking at you know Java or Python as like a tool to just get anything done from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, uh, and uh, some of them actually do well, but there's a bunch of them that actually don't um, they just can't code, right? Uh, you would not believe how many people I have talked to that applied for software engineer or senior software engineer role that just, just have no ability to code. Like they wow. went through, uh, they might, they, you know, they might not have a degree in this, which is totally fine. Um, this field changes so much that degrees most of the time optional. Uh, but yeah, and then they're, they're just, uh, you know, they went through some online course or they picked up a book and they think they're a fast learner, right? Coming back to that. And they're like, oh, great, I'm going to apply for this role. And you say, okay, great. So let's see if you can code. And they're like, well, you know, I can because, uh, uh, I've done this and I, you know, built a website for, uh, for my uncle and, uh, uh, I can, uh, Google for, I'm, you know, you, you sort of have these folks that, uh, uh, that use the same, uh, the same thing as a lot of people use about foreign languages. Like, well, I, I can't speak it, but I sure can understand it. Like, right. you know, it's like, oh, I can read code just fine. You know, writing code is a little more challenging, but I usually find something on Stack Overflow. Like, great. Yeah. So, um, the pro, the, the thing to think through here is, I mean, can you let this engineer uh, do you trust this engineer right. to go into your system and sort of start making changes, uh, building new things, uh, potentially building things that other people use, 
uh, in the system. Um, so yeah, there is unfortunately a ton of people that apply for software engineering jobs that just don't know how to do software engineering. Uh, so, um, so there's a number of ways to sort of filter, filter, uh, those folks out. Um, and, and I've talked to a few people that said, oh, okay, hey, um, why don't you just give these people like a problem um, that uh, they can work on at home? They can, you know, they can, because it's really more true to what the job really yeah. entails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so, so the thing is, the, the time to answer in, in that uh, is, uh, so first of all, it's longer, right? Yeah. So you give somebody like 24 hours or something. So you don't, but you know, maybe that makes sense. That's fine. Uh, second of all, you still sort of ha have an issue of, um, sort of copy and paste. Exactly. Um, right. So somebody, you know, give somebody, um, you know, a Ruby on Rails, uh, you know, say, oh, create me a little app and, and Ruby and then they sort of go and they, um, auto generate scaffolding for an app and they copy and paste some, some stuff or they go through a tutorial and end up in the same place. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Or they find the answer online. Yeah, exactly. Or somebody else who went through your interview shares it or something like that. You know, that, you know, or through a similar interview. Right. Um, so there's that. There is, uh, there's another thing which is, uh, um, you know, some people say like, oh, you know, we'll pay you a consulting fee for a day and you come in and yeah. you try and, uh, and, um, uh, and figure out our system. And if yeah. you can, like, great. But yeah, if you yeah. can, so, and there are several types of developers out there, uh, that are, that have their unique approaches yeah. and they're all valid. So, um, I mean, I've, um, I've got one, uh, I've got one engineer who's f phenomenal, phenomenal. This guy takes, you know, every sort of new module or new app that he goes into, uh, he takes a couple of days to sort of go th read through the other code, read the documentation, do all of this stuff. You know, he would fail this interview. By the way, one of the most productive individuals I've ever met mm. uh, would not produce a line of code in a day, right? So there, there that method fails, right? Uh, and then I think that so you're sort of over-rotating towards people that are just like, kind of like just go to the first possible solution make something you know happen and you know it's not really a foolproof method if you can employ it uh the other interesting issue with that is to just do that particular thing like let's say you just ask somebody like hey jeff why don't you come in and do fix some bugs well um Maybe if you're like an early, early startup, uh, and you're sort of in unregulated space, that's, that's an option. That's right. totally fine. And you can, you know, maybe some people are just flipping somebody a little cash, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, right? Like, okay. Uh, but hypothetically, let's say you're working for, uh, SpaceX or something like that. And then you're, you can't employ the same method because people have to have clearance. Right. Um, Right. So, um, so, th so that method doesn't really work. Um, another thing that's really interesting about sort of like throwing somebody, and I've heard this like, oh, you know, throw them into the pool, see if they can swim type of thing. Can they swim in our pool? Uh, that's, uh, the problem is that, you, you know, you have, if you have a significant system, um, you might have a ton of stuff that's just really not generally available out there, or this person doesn't know what this is. Right. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, when I was at Microsoft, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to come in and 
Sure, if it's going to be a nice little Visual Studio Studio project called right. Windows, and I'm going to like open it up in Visual Studio and hit build and uh, nothing, nothing of that sort. Yeah. You know, they had their own tools. I mean, just getting around in that eighty project. internal tools, exactly. Right. So, um, so yeah. So, what would they find out if I if I just you know came in? I'm like, I have no idea how to <laughs> even start. <laughs> They'd be like, oh well, this guy's a <laughs> well. Okay, so should so should you give candidates the option of how they want to interview because if you're talking about these different interview strategies that might potentially work maybe it would be useful to give them a buffet of options to choose from yeah i think the the buffet of options comes uh, of options comes up when you give people different questions right so i think one question might be around like software design right um, you're talking about just whiteboarding questions um whiteboarding on paper whatever right. like have a discussion yeah um so have a discussion like you would have if you were to work with this person, hey, great, welcome. You know, I'd love to just brainstorm with you about how to design um, a vending machine, right? Like, let's talk about the different modules and everything, and see if this person tackles that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a simple, uh, like a simple algorithm, is a fair game. I mean, if you let's just be honest, like if if you are applying to be a software en- engineer and you can't um, write an algorithm that maybe requires two loops, I think you're going to struggle. I, I, you know, there's many times, you know, even though there's a, uh, a wealth of standard libraries for, for any respectable stack nowadays, you you know, and nobody runs binary search tree, um, anymore, you know, there is a lot of problems that you're dealing with. It's like, okay, go here, get this data set, iterate through it, find the things that, you know, fit this criteria, do something to them. Like, that's that's fair game. And I, and I think if you're struggling with that, um, that's definitely a red flag. How important are reference checks? Because, I, so I read this book about hiring called who it was, it was this is like a really popular book about hiring that a lot of people recommend one of the things that they really stress is the reference check process like you cannot avoid doing reference checks and it's really important and even if somebody passes your hiring process if they don't get through your reference like you should have a reference check process that probably screens some people out yeah. So, um, so I don't think I answered actually the previous, uh, the second part of your, the previous question, which, oh. which is, uh, reference checks are related to, uh, and that is what is my hiring process, right? right? Um, which reference checks is step four of yeah. that. Um, so step one, I generally is, a, is, uh, an informal step. And I really, I have not had this step in my process for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, it was detrimental to the type of people I found. Uh, so the first step is always just gauge interest. Uh, like what is quick the, call. um, yeah, just quick, l- quick, phone quick phone call, grab a coffee with this person, uh, if they're local and just, uh, you know, right now I work, um, at a company that's doing hardware. So it's really interesting to actually visit. Yeah. Uh, so people come over and do a factory tour and that's really cool. It's like software. People love to see how hardware is made. So, yeah. um, so it's great. It's, it's, uh, so the, the number one thing, um, in that first phase is to figure out 
is there an interest? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing worse than hiring disinterested people. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it goes back to the very, very first question you asked is like disengagement. You yeah, know? and people that enter the funnel and they're not interested in your specific product, that's like a really bad sign. Right. It's like, okay, so you're just scanning through some job board and mass apply. So I'm I'm working on this this um, app. I'm starting this company and yeah. uh, and I'm uh, the the first version of this app that I built. It's called Adverprise. The first version of it was contracted, and now I'm looking for an iOS developer to take over full time. And I've been trying to figure out how to hire people. I've been using AngelList to get some leads, and my process is like you said. Step one is set up a quick call with the people, and every single call that I've set up so far, my first question is, "Have you downloaded the app and tried it out?" Every single person has said no, and I'm like, "Well, why are we talking?" Right, right. Um, or I mean, in general, it's just fair to ask, you know. And I stole. By the way, none of this, none of the stuff I'm using is invented by me. Right. Uh, so I stole this from um, uh, a, a guy I learned a lot from. Um, he happens to be the CTO of DocuSign, um, and and he had one. You know, the, his leading question was always, you know why you and why this company yeah and if you don't have clarity answering that question um then exactly the question is why why are we talking and if they say well i was just applying to every job that i saw is that instant no or is that like well you're honest i think i think uh so everything in hiring actually it's really um it's probably beyond like a one hour uh chat uh you're you're you know you're you're putting together a team is sort of a little bit like playing a game of Tetris. You know, sometimes it's the pieces you got, right? But if you've got an interesting space and you've got a promising company and you've got a lead flow of good candidates that are interested in what you're doing, why in the world would you bring somebody in who is not interested? I, don't, I mean, that's just beyond. It's like, okay, well, hey, listen, you're not quite interested in what we're doing. You don't have some ideas. You haven't done the research. I mean, you're either a person that doesn't do the research about things in, in, in his or her life. Well, uh, that's not a good sign for a software engineer. Or you're not quite interested in us, really, in particular. Um, and just kind of spraying and praying with your resume, right? I mean, it's like, it's just a bad sign, right? Like, so somebody can possibly turn it around. But let me just say that if you are... Taking a call from a hiring manager, um, I, I sort of sympathize with some folks that are like, okay, like I need to grab, you know, I need to just really, I need to get a job soon. Yeah. So I'm going to, but, but if you've I've got, been there, I've yeah, done that. it's like you, you, you're in a pinch. I totally get it. Yeah. But if you've got a call with a hiring manager, that's generally a sign that, you know, Hey, they're interested in you. Yeah. Um, and it's probably, polite to figure out if you're interested in them <laughs> i don't know that's so that's step one is just to figure out like what's this person about why are they interested in this space the best folks that um that i've hired uh have always been really in, they, they had they came with ideas all right so they they said oh great you guys are doing um 
sort of factory automation and and uh, we're doing robotics. I love robotics. This is what I've done. And this is the libraries that I've been using. And this is like, oh, great. And you always think like, are you hiring? If it is, is every consecutive hire a person who sort of takes the, are we going to learn from this person? And if this is, and this person is not interested in the space, he's going to eventually be a drag on the team. Uh, so that's so. So that's step one is to to have that informal discussion with somebody. And after that, you can just be like, "Hey, listen, just doesn't seem like, you know, you're talking about um, you want to do mobile apps, and uh, you know, it's like great. It's uh, it's not what we do. Yeah." Uh, there's plenty of jobs for that. So okay, so take me so quickly. Take me through steps two and three and the reference check process, and then I want to talk about talk a little bit about management of people when they're actually on board. Um, so steps two and three. So number two is generally for us is the tech screen. Um, so we use code share or the phone like, screen, phone tech screen, phone tech screen, okay. and that's. Uh, and that's just being mindful of everybody's time. Right. Uh, so most of the engineers we talk to are employed. Um, it is a hot market right now. So asking somebody to show up for half a day or a day, you know, it's, it's, if there's no, if there's that's step three, that is step three. Yeah. But so on step two, we, you know, we generally either talk to people about some of their technical project and see if they've actually done it. Or if they were just kind of uh, on the sidelines, on the sidelines of of uh, you know the uh, uh, <laughs> the third string quarterback of yeah. the championship te- team, you know, um, uh, or um, so we do s- some coding um, and see if this person can put an algorithm together. Uh, very critical, and that is to not be focused on syntax. Um, not be focused on a particular language. You need to be flexible on those things. I mean, basically what you're trying to assess is, can this person use computers to solve computer problems? <laughs> you know, and then step three is sort of meet the team, right. uh, meet the management. Yeah, and we kind of discussed that right. in the whiteboarding process. Um, right, and then, um, and then the last step is reference checks. Um, so... Everybody that I've hired that was an excellent hire had excellent references. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was just a sample of one or a sample of, right. um, you know, probably about 400 people that I interviewed uh, in the last, you know, five years or something like that. Um, or, you know, that's just what it is. Exactly. So that's, and that's why I think why this book emphasizes the reference check process so much is you will learn so much from the reference checks if you do it right. Yeah, so a couple of things to keep in mind there. Uh, some companies uh, that are trying to limit their liability uh, don't actually disclose a lot of information about. Right. So you might so you might call somebody you might you might call somebody and I, I don't know if this is the current policy, but let's just say you call somebody who used to work at Microsoft. Uh, and, uh, you know, Microsoft and, and other big companies are popular targets for lawsuits. Right. So they have strict guidelines right. uh, for folks to just basically, yes, you can confirm that this person worked here, but, um, um, but no, you can't, you know, really get super detailed, especially if it's negative. Right. Uh, but if it's positive. 
So I'm not certain, but I think the guideline is more or less to just confirm or deny that the person worked there because if it's not positive, then it must be negative type of thing, right? That's easy to to deduce that. Um, But yeah, in in general, I think references are super important. And given that you're asking uh, this person for references... um, uh, there's got to be somebody who was happy exactly. <laughs> with their work. Exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, so, yeah. so I would say, um, I would say references are key. Don't skip that. Uh, ask references, open ended questions, uh, things, um, you know, things that yield results for, for companies that don't have, um, sort of like super strict lockdown on, yeah. on what. As you know, what kind of things is this person working uh, working on? Like, what yeah. kind of areas of development are they? Uh, do you, do you think that um, they needed while you worked with them? What they do need, or something like that? And you can and you can discover that you know, hey, these are the things we're okay with, and these are the things that uh, we're not okay with. Yeah. Um, you know, I called in um, one, and I think about one reference check. And, uh, and, uh, the person said, oh, you know, this guy's really brilliant, but super stubborn. And I was like, oh, you know, I think I can, I can, I've worked with some stubborn people. I yeah. have a way of, uh, I've grown some people into uh, being able to take, um, various points of view. Sure. So I can deal with that. That's yeah. fine. If that's, you know, is that the worst? Is it the worst thing about this guy? Right. Great. He's stubborn. Great. I know in that case, is everything else great? Like super brilliant engineer, but you know, geez, just really, you know, will come back to certain problems. You know, okay, great. I can work with that. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about management itself because we've kind of been talking about the hiring and firing process. Yeah. There is obviously management in between those lines. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, I had an interview. Uh, a while ago with uh, a guy named Michael Wolf, and we talked about dissent. So when you have people in an organization who are disagreeing with you, um, and this is valuable in some light because as a manager, you want the dissenting opinions to percolate up because oftentimes, you know, the engineers who those opinions are percolating up from will have better insight into problems with an approach than you will. On the other hand, if you have engineers who are dissenting too much, then it can be disruptive. It can prevent you from actually being able to manage a team to accomplish a shared goal successfully. So how do you think about encouraging the right amount of dissent versus the right amount of you guys need to kind of fall in line? Uh, Yeah, so a lot of nuance to that, obviously. I think that that part in and of itself it's probably an hour uh, worth of conversation um so obviously um there is there is some critical there, there's some critical things that every manager needs to be aware of when they're managing um, a group of software engineers number one um uh, if you have not let go of the idea that um you not the smartest person on the team, you're doing yourself a disservice. Number one, you should always hire people smarter than you. Uh, and, and if you do, which I, I have, uh, and that was, the, that's the only way to scale as a, uh, as a software executive is to hire people that know more than you in yeah. particular areas, uh, giving them ownership 
is very critical because um and you need to have that trust with with folks and just sort of like great you own this you know parser and i trust that you're going to make the right decisions you've you know you're the best expert on parsers that we could find potentially in the world you know you are that person um so at that point in time if you do have people that are competent and they have a sense of ownership uh they the dissent might happen um, from just um, different context, right? So, for, so some folks are like, "Hey, listen, I want to spend, uh, you know, twelve months uh, writing a parser and see that's going to be the fastest parser in the world, right?" And and then you say, "Great, um, well, listen, Mary, like I, you know, we have twelve months of runway in the startup, so if it's going to take you twelve months to write the best parser in the world." And we're not really using the parser. Uh, well, we might run out of money. Right. Um, so, so if that if that person can appreciate the different contexts, mm-hmm. uh, I would treat the anytime you have dissent as opportunities to figure out. And you know what? At the same time, you might not have the right context, right? And you might, you know, that same person can say like, oh, you know, hey, actually, it does not. It's not going to take twelve months. It's going to take only two months. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, this parser is being used all the time. And the current one that we have is total garbage. And uh, I, I really need to sort of re-architect this thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm certain that, you know, at that point in time, you, you need to be open to learning things as well. Mm. Um, so I think there's constructive dissent around shared goals. Uh, and, uh, but... I think there's there's when you don't relinquish some ownership uh, and don't have some trust, you might have uh, this sort of weird state where after a while it's just like a a little bit of a p- power struggle, and and I think as a manager, really important to um, pay attention to that. Uh, the the number one key thing all the time is that if you're making all of the decisions. Um, you're not leveraging your team. As a manager, do you try to keep emotional distance from the employees you're managing or do you try to be friends with them? Um, great question. I've, I've tried it several ways. I've been, uh, and I would say um, my philosophy is be friends with people you're working with. Um, it's more fun like that. I think you um, get a lot of uh, trust and early sort of early warning signs about people are more open with problems. Uh, the the you know the sort of like the opposite spectrum of just saying like oh it's strictly business we're not you know um, you know that's fine. I don't know if um, if it's the best. If it's the best way to to go, um, I I generally found that people that are not for software engineering. It doesn't seem to be. For yeah, I mean maybe in a maybe in a in an environment where things are sort of defined and predictable. Medicine. I I'm not sure. I don't know enough about that business. But let's just say, for instance, you're like, yep, yeah, I know exactly what you're doing. You know, it's you know, you need to come in and and uh, you know make these pizza pies, you know, right. <laughs> like, all right, so it's, it's all, you know, the pizza pies are fine, then we're fine. 
but I think I think um, a lot of people don't appreciate how emotional software is. Right. I, I think, uh, and for folks that are sort of looking to go into management, um, just just be aware you're going to be everybody's therapist. Like that is that is what you're going to be doing. Um, like maybe twenty to thirty percent of the time. Um, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be upset because somebody didn't listen to them. There's going to be people that are going to be upset because you, you know, uh, it seemed like you didn't take their context into account when you made a decision and they feel left out. Uh, there are going to be people, uh, that, um, you know, want to get paid more. There, you know, there's some people that, uh, think that the company is going in the wrong direction. You know, it's just, it's a very emotional thing. There's some people that just want to be left alone because they just, you know, people keep bugging them, but they really want to dig into their work and people keep asking them questions, uh, type of thing. You know, so as, <laughs> as, uh, you know, the, the higher up the management chain you go, the less and less code you get to work with and the more and more, uh, people's emotional uh, you, you know you're like debugging people's emotions you sure. know like oftentimes you just you wouldn't you know you need to add a lot of soft skills to your arsenal right so as we draw to a close you worked at microsoft for four or five years you worked at docusign for nine or ten years yeah. and now you've worked at tempo automation for less than a year yep. and so these companies so you saw DocuSign go from very few people to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, you saw Microsoft go from a lot of people to just more people, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you're seeing Tempo Automation. I mean, you're managing the growth of that company. What? How have the management structures of these companies contrasted? And what are the overarching lessons that you have learned about how the size of a company relates to the management processes in a company? Um. There's definitely a lot more process you need to have um, as uh, as your team grows. Um, but I actually think it's very good to have a lot of rigor in, uh, in your management regardless of size. Uh, because what happens is with the size of the company and the size of the team, really... Um, it, it's sort of like a wobbly wheel at higher speeds just just falls off right so it's the same it's the same thing like if you don't have a tight um so process and i'm actually thinking about putting a lot of sort of my processes up on my blog um just like so people can just grab them yeah uh and i'm hoping that maybe crowdsourcing will make them better but yeah um so so process is, you know, you, you want to have just the right amount, um, you, you know, and you want to make sure that it's just helpful process. So it's, so it's always good to prune it. Um, the rule of thumb that I have in my head is sort of like what the Vikings used to have in, mm. in back in the day. If you can't remember it, it's not important. <laughs> you know, so if you can't remember that there is some sort of best practice around that, then, you know then probably no one else can either. Um, but things like coming up with a good defined process for hiring, um, you know, it's just, it's just good. So folks understand so many times 
for instance, folks will interview somebody and everybody asks the same question and you sort of huddle back together and say, right. Well, it's like, oh, well, great. Did anybody ask this person about architecture? No, no, we, we all, all did an algorithm. List. Yeah, exactly. We all did an algorithm on the board. Like, great. So this person can do algorithms on the board and we know nothing else uh, about this person. Right. I have no idea. You know, I, we, do we hire this person? Do we not hire this person? Oh, right. Yeah. So like that type of stuff. Um, Doing people's reviews and raises, it's like when you don't. So, I mean, I have this grid where which I've partially, um, you know, borrowed from people and it's sort of built up over over the years. And it's like, hey, if you're good, you're doing these particular things. And if and if we have to do all these these other things, uh, then you're probably not so good. Right. So you, so you can judge yourself. Um, um, so those types of things um I, I think the management really, a lot of times when you find yourself in a, um, in the space where you're like, oh man, I'm, I don't have enough process or I need to have more managers. I check whether or not you're hiring right. Uh, cause the people that are interested, engaged and great, uh, generally need less processes, uh, and less management overhead. And actually tried to run away from it. Uh, in fact, you know, that's probably why um, we're seeing a lot of folks sort of leave big companies after a while and go to small companies because they're like, oh, my God, I just need to get my stuff done. I can't have a seven-person sign-off before I ship a feature, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's just about um, it's about being smart and uh, also utilizing uh, sort of this Kaizen, um, which is one of sort of the popular methods, I think, borrowed from uh, manufacturing. Um, it's continuous improvement. You know, yeah. it's like, can you get with people on a regular basis, whether it's a monthly or quarterly thing? And it's like, what are some of the things we should start, we should stop, or we should continue? And if someone is, everyone says like, oh my God, you know, uh, I really hate, you know, filling out this form. And it's like, great, you know, it is your job as a manager uh, to uh, make everybody as effective and as happy as they can be. You know, so basically it's as a manager, you take care, you know, find the right people, take good care of them and give them everything to succeed. And if they're the right people, you know, if you did A, uh, and you're doing B and, and, and C, you should have great results. Uh, and if not, then, then, you know, something is going off. All right. Well, that sounds a reasonable place to conclude. Um, we didn't even talk about tempo automation, but if listeners are interested in manufacturing or automating the process of getting things from a hardware idea to a finished piece of manufactured hardware they can check out tempo automation you guys are obviously hiring yeah absolutely yeah it's a it's a pretty cool uh problem space yeah what we're doing is electronics manufacturing on demand so uh what the service does is if you are a pcb engineer or if you're doing hardware which a lot of people are nowadays um you upload a cad file and then um, amazon prime style you know three days later you get the part which is um, which is pretty cool, um, and it's it's and we're seeing a pretty profound effect on the industry with this service. Uh, it's a uh, 
uh, it's introducing agility into uh, hardware development. That's great. Well, that sounds really interesting. Maybe we should discuss that on uh, another episode. But um, Mike, thanks for coming on and talking about management. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks for having me. Wow.